0: Welcome to the Lexington Public Library's Tales from the Kentucky Room podcast where we discuss everything Lexington and Fayette County history. I'm Miriam, and in each episode of this podcast we will feature a guest that will share a piece of local history. So thank you for tuning in and enjoy. On this episode of the podcast we have with us Stuart Sanders, the author of Anatomy of a Duel, Secession, Civil War, and the Evolution of Kentucky Violence. Stuart Sanders is the Director of Research and Publications for the Kentucky Historical Society. He was the former Executive Director of the Perryville Battlefield Preservation Association. He is also the author of five other books, including Perryville Under Fire, The Aftermath of Kentucky's Largest Civil War Battle, The Battle of Mill Springs, Kentucky, Manny's Confederate Brigade at the Battle of Perryville, and Murder on the Ohio Bell. His book is available for checkout at Lexington Public Library or for purchase at your local bookstore. Thank you so much for joining us, Stuart. So glad to have you on the podcast. Before we get started, can you just give us a little bit of an introduction to your background with the Kentucky Historical Society and other research projects that you've, you've worked on?
1: Sure. I, uh, I grew up in uh, Lexington, Virginia, which is in the Shenandoah Valley, uh, which is sort of uh, full of Civil War histories, you can imagine. However, 1996 started working for the Perryville Battlefield Preservation Association, which is a nonprofit organization that at the time was trying to preserve and interpret Kentucky's largest Civil War battleground at Perryville. And so I worked there for about 10 years. And then for the past 18, actually, I've been with the Kentucky Historical Society. During that time, worked in every corner of the building and uh, now serve as director of research and publications there.
0: Oh, wow. wow. So you get you come across a lot of neat research. Then. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's yeah, what makes yeah.
1: the job a lot of fun.
0: Yeah. So anatomy of a duel, how did you get started on this particular research? You know, most people that are familiar with Kentucky duels and Kentucky history know of Winston Coleman's book, famous right. Kentucky duels. Your book kind of deals a little more of a societal right. impacts um, and historical in terms of the Civil War and secession and etc. Right, give us a little background about how you started this research and what sure. compelled you to write a whole book about it. Right, so
1: I've been I've been this is my fifth book actually. I've been writing a lot of Civil War history over the years, and uh, this particular duel, it sort of is the intersection of two just sort of research topics that I'm interested in, one being the Civil War, and then the second being kind of interpersonal violence and how did Kentuckians use violence as a means of conflict resolution during the 19th century. And so dueling became kind of a, a perfect topic. And, you know, just sort of dovetailing those, you know, the Civil War with dueling is how I sort of stumbled on this topic. And actually, you know, using Coleman's book is how I first read about the duel between Leonidas Metcalf and uh, William Casto. And the Civil War hook is that Leonidas Metcalf was a a Union colonel, and then Casto was a pro-Confederate civilian, and they dueled in May of 1862 near Maysville using rifles at 60 yards. And the duel really had its roots in the secession crisis because Metcalf had led a troop of men who had arrested Casto for being pro-Confederate, and that sort of spent... Castro on a downward spiral of wanting to seek revenge when he was eventually released from this union prison. He quickly found Metcalf, who he blamed for sort of impugning his honor and shaming him and embarrassing him through this arrest challenged him to a duel, and then they ended up, you know, fighting just a few days later.
0: Yeah, yeah. And that was the whole background of, of duels is, is honor and code. And, you know, there's a whole code behind duels and and such, um, if anyone knows anything about the Broadway hit, uh, Hamilton. Right. So give us a little bit more about the whole cultural background, especially right. in Kentucky. There seems to be, there was almost like a shift in that Civil War period on duels. right. There's pre, you know, pre-Civil War duels and and posts. There, there's a little bit of a difference. I, I felt like there from is. reading your book and, and other research. Give us a little bit of background about what dueling meant and why it was so normalized sure. and, and it's just became part of the culture.
1: Right. So dueling, uh, sort of came to Kentucky in probably the late 1700s. You know, brought here by Virginians and North Carolinians. You know, who would sort of embraced this what we call kind of the Southern honor culture. And what, what honor essentially is, it's how – what is your reputation and how does your community view you to be and how do you view yourself? And you, it's sort of you're upheld as kind of a higher standard of, again, honor is how you wanted to mostly av- avoid sort of shame or public embarrassment. And so if you were insulted or if there was a failed business deal um, or if, you know – someone from your same social class stole from you, the way you'd kind of avenge that insult to keep your honor intact if you were from the same social class was to fight a formal structured duel. And so you have a lot of upper-class Kentuckians dueling during this period, you know, from Henry Clay to Cassius Marcellus Clay to John Rowan to, you know, you know, sort of most noted Kentuckians from that period, you know, if they didn't duel, they sort of knew people who did or, you know, played a role as being a second. But that kind of honor culture drove people to the dueling ground during that time. And, um, you know, it seems completely insane today for, for two people to stand, you know, 10 paces apart with pistols and exchange gunfire as a way to sort yeah, of save your of reputation.
0: Takes <laughs> <laughs> those Twitter feuds all right, all off yeah, exactly. or X or whatever yeah. you call it to now. Sends it's it to, to a different level. level. Yeah.
1: But, uh, you know, it did happen in Kentucky. You know, it was sort of seen the, the mark of a gentleman to have a pair of, you know, finely crafted English dueling pistols. So it became this this sort of cultural norm. And, you know, if someone from a different social class, however, insulted you is a, is a wealthy gentleman. It was up to you to sort of deal with that affront immediately instead. So, you know, there are a lot of stories in Kentucky newspapers of upper-class Kentuckians instead of challenging someone from a lower class to a duel, instead they would, you know, horse whip them or cane them on the street, things like that. So there, um, you know, culture played into it, uh, class played very heavily into it as well. And, um, dueling started going out of fashion, um, during the Civil War, because, you know, as soldiers were killing them, or killing each other in droves on battlefields across the South, you know, sort of the idea, I think people began to realize just sort of how ludicrous that was. However, that sort of honor culture stayed intact. So after the Civil War, in Kentucky in particular, you still had uh, upper-class Kentuckians having this sort of hair-triggered temper and reaction to insult. So instead of if, you know, if someone insulted you in the 1870s, 1880s, and even later, instead of issuing a formal challenge, you'd instead, you know, pull your concealed weapon and immediately start shooting. And so there were a lot of episodes from our past, sadly, you know, involving, you know, murders on the street that were caused by insult and yeah. things like that.
0: And, of course, those duels didn't always end up in – either ended up in death or somebody injured right, or right. Uh, depending on – what they decided to wear.
1: The point of dueling wasn't to necessarily kill your opponent. It was just to sort of show that you were honorable and keep your reputation. Like save face. Yeah. And so a lot of times if you agreed to duel with pistols at 10 paces, which is typically 30 feet, you know, you exchanged the first round of fire. If no one got shot, the seconds who were your assistants, basically, or friends who are acting on your behalf would... Kind of negotiate and say, "Look, has honor been satisfied? Do we need to continue?" And a lot of instances, they would just say, "Yep, honor's satisfied. My reputation's fine. We're not going to keep firing guns at each other." <laughs> but in so, again, in some instances where you know the insult was determined to be pretty grave, some duelists would, would want to see dro- blood drawn, and they would keep the fight going. Um, that happened to Henry Clay a few times. You know, the duels that he fought. First shot, they would always miss, and then the second shot, yeah, they would continue on. And in the first instance, Clay was actually um, injured in the leg in one duel
0: in eighteen o seven. So, so the illustrious Henry Clay was a, uh, heavily involved in duels right. as well yeah. as Cassius Clay, which was right. covered in, in previous uh, yeah. podcasts. Um, and they're, I mean, they're famous politicians, right. um, And they would have had to take the famous oath, of right. Not having yeah. <laughs> fought a duel. How did they circumnavigate that issue, and how right. did they, you know, escape? prosecution.
1: Probably the best, you know, dueling was illegal in Kentucky, uh, starting in the 1850 Constitution, as you noted. People who wanted to be attorneys or politicians had to swear this oath that not only had they not dueled, but they had, you know, not acted as a second or participated in any of the dueling. And, you know, attorneys would lose their law licenses if they dueled and That oath still exists today. So people, for example, who are um, a politically appointed library board member, they even have to swear that duel. If you're an attorney, you have to swear You know, from from those positions up to the governor of Kentucky, they all have to, you know, hold their right hand up and say they've never dueled or participated. Um, However, during the 19th century, this sort of um, need to keep your reputation intact and your, you know, desire to keep your honor crystal clear.
0: There was no such thing as background checks. Right, (laughs) exactly,
1: (laughs) exactly. (laughs) You know, they would still duel because that sort of that sense of personal honor outweighed the risk of being prosecuted. And sadly, you know, most prosecutors supported dueling, so they rarely prosecuted people for for doing the practice. But again, you know, there were lawyers who lost their law licenses and. There were some consequences for people, but you know the the worst consequence was a lot of people weren't ever charged for murder, even if they killed someone in a duel, because it was just seen as being something that that went on, and you know that it was kind
0: turned a blind eye right, to it, just yeah. because it was so ingrained in the in the culture, right? And like I mentioned, we've covered in the podcast the famous uh, duels of Cassius Clay and right. the knife fight in right. the post office between um, Swope and Goodlow. Right. Give us a little bit of what you um, your favorite, or not favorite, but like the most yeah, fascinating sure. duel fight that yeah. you. Found interesting.
1: There are a lot. I mean, there's a lot of a lot to
0: choose from. (laughs) Unfortunately, Kentucky.
1: One that I really uh, there's one I like because of a macabre artifact that's tied to it. And gosh, prior to 1850 in Bardstown, there was a man named John Rowan who ended up owning the house that's now my old Kentucky home. And he ended up was at a tavern, sort of enjoying a few drinks with some friends. And he and a man named Chambers began arguing over who had a better mastery over ancient languages. (laughs) And believe it or not, that ended led to a fight and then they ended up finding each other on the dueling ground, which is, you know, so for me, it's being a more absurd reason to shoot at someone, you know, whether or not you could speak Latin or Greek better, you know, it's not a good reason, but, uh, Rowan ended up killing Chambers in that duel. And then he fashioned a ring that contained a, uh, a locket of Chambers hair and the Kentucky historical Society still has that, that ring. So if you, uh, get on our, uh, website and look at our objects catalog you can actually find that ring just look up dual ring and it should pop up but it's pretty creepy but it's uh you know the fact he kept it as a memento also sort of points to his it was sort of showing that he had kind of survived and had upheld his honor for me a, a, another interesting duel is related to a place, and that's the Kentucky Horse Park in that area. Because during the 19th century, um, that was the farm of James K. Duke, who was a noted farmer in the area. And you can still see the the Duke house if you're driving towards Cincinnati on the uh, uh, interstate. It's sort of a, unfortunately, I think a crumbling white frame house now. I think it's in pretty bad shape. But in the 19th century, it was the Fayette County-Scott County line. And a lot of duels were fought on county lines. So you know, no one could determine prosecutorial um, jurisdiction. So it would sort of lessen your chance of being prosecuted if they couldn't figure out what county you're actually fighting in. And on that farm, you know, again, now part of the Kentucky Horse Park, there were I think at least five duels fought there. And um, one included two doctors who fought a duel. Uh, They'd had an an argument over a post-mortem examination. And uh, one actually shot the artery of another and then ended up stepping into saving the man's life. So um, that's an interesting one. And then two Transylvania University students actually fought there in the 1850s using shotguns at 40 yards, and one killed the other, uh, essentially blew his head off. And so it's that dueling ground. however, saw the uh, Deshay-Kimbrough duel, which to me is really interesting. It happened in 1866, right after the Civil War. And Deshay and Kimbrough had been sort of uh, enemies when they were schoolboys. And them fighting on different sides during the Civil War didn't help. Deshay had been a Confederate officer, was wounded a number of times, um, had a, sh- a shattered left arm. Um, Alexander Kimbrough was a, a, a Union sergeant and had a shattered leg. Both had been, you know, gravely injured in different battles. But they'd encountered each other in a tavern, I think, in Paris, got in a fistfight. That led to a challenge to duel, and uh, at the Kentucky, what is now the Kentucky Horse Park, one early morning, they fought a duel using Henry Clay's pistols. And uh, Deshaies actually shot Kimbrough through the hip and uh, ended up sort of, you know, this poor Union veteran who was already had bad legs, was again wounded and uh, in the stool. And Deshaies ended up fleeing to Canada with his second. They spent 10 years there in exile, you know, fearing prosecution. And uh, finally, Governor James B. McCrary, who was also a Confederate veteran, who probably knew both men, ended up pardoning them. And then he returned to become a noted Horse breeder. And so, you know, to me, the, the idea that one place would sort of have so much related to an affair of honor. Is also pretty interesting, the fact that all these duels fought there. Were fought yeah, there.
0: around the Kentucky right. Horse Park and that in that land over there. It's interesting, that land is actually used as soccer fields to help yeah, some yeah, of the Yeah, different type of duels. Yeah, you know, yeah. But, my son was playing a game there, and I thought, yeah. wow, and I just kept thinking about the history on that Yeah, it's crazy. And, it's, it's very interesting yeah, to me, yeah. The
1: DeShay kimbrough duel, the fact that one was a Union veteran, one a Confederate veteran at a time when you know other Kentuckians were sort of seeking re- reconciliation – You know, they're out there exchanging pot shots with Henry Clay's (laughs) pistols. Yeah. Just makes it pretty interesting to me.
0: It does. It does. So you talked about the artifacts at the Kentucky Historical Society. What other artifacts can people go to view there? Give us a little bit of uh, information about for our listeners who are interested to come visit.
1: The Kentucky Historical Society is actually, we view it as a campus. And so we've got the Thomas D. Clark Center for Kentucky History. That has both temporary exhibit space and a permanent exhibit gallery covering thousands of years of Kentucky history. Um, you know, from prehistory on. Uh, we also manage Kentucky's Old State Capitol building and the Kentucky Military History Museum at the Old State Arsenal. And so we've got three different museum sites you can visit. So we have everything from, you know, on display. We have a, a plaster cast of Daniel Boone's skull, for example, to Abraham Lincoln's pocket watch, to um, you know, a Corvette. I mean, it really runs the gamut of different uh, items that are associated with Kentucky history um, throughout that, you know, well over 250 years of history.
0: What other books have you released? You said you mentioned that you have released other books.
1: Yeah, my my first was called Perryville Under Fire, the aftermath of Kentucky's largest Civil War battleground. And so when I worked at Perryville, the story I always heard was that every house, every church, every home became a field hospital to contend with all the wounded troops, and so I decided to start researching that. And it's true, you know, every building, anything with a, a roof, from churches to businesses to homes, became hospitals because there were more than seventy five hundred men killed and wounded at Perryville, plus thousands of sick soldiers. And so most of the town's three hundred inhabitants had to deal with not only caring for the wounded and sick, but also burying the dead. And so it sort of looks at what happened when the firing stopped. And uh, you know, Danville, Bardstown, Lebanon, Springfield, surrounding communities all became vast field hospitals after the battle. And so that book kind of examines that and what were the the consequences to local civilians too who lost, you know, cattle and horses and had their lives completely overturned. So that was that first book. Um, My second book was on the Battle of Mill Springs, Kentucky, which was fought in uh, January of 1862. It was a major turning point in the war. It was fought down near Somerset, Kentucky. And it was the first um, Union victory in Kentucky, a major Union victory that sort of drove the Confederates out of the state at a critical time. And so it looks at that early Union victory and how that impacted the the rest of the war um, in the state um, as part of that. My third book is called uh, Manny's Confederate Brigade of the Battle of Perryville. It's sort of a command study that examines one brigade that endured some of the heaviest fighting. um, As these troops fought on the uh, Union left flank, um, a lot of the regiments suffered well over 50% casualties which is sort of unheard of in a civil war battle so they're fighting from one hilltop to the other, and there's a staunch Union defense. So, it looks at the sort of the soldiers who participated in that battle and talks about why it's one of the most important parts of the Battle of Perryville. Um, my fourth book's called "Murder on the Ohio Bell," which looks at uh, a murder and vigilante justice that took place on a, a steamboat that went from Ohio- C- Cincinnati to New Orleans and back. And the murders took place in 1856, and that's also sort of a, a Southern honor story too, because there was a, a wealthy planter on board who was manhandled out of the cabin by a, a what he perceived as being a lowly steamboat clerk. He then killed the man. Uh, the crew took justice in their own hands. And uh, the twist in the story is that the Mississippian who committed this murder really wasn't who he said he was. And even though he was a, a planter son from Holly Spring, Mississippi, he was on sort of on the run for committing an earlier heinous crime. And uh, so it sort of that book also delves into kind of Southern honor culture and interpersonal violence on steamboats, a kind of steamboat life in general. Um, so I've got, you know, I've become a, a, an official steamboat nerd. I think after <laughs> writing that book too. But
0: um, yeah, well, when I was doing um, research for this podcast, I had read about that the yeah. book, Um and I was like, okay, this is a podcast episode all on its <laughs> all in its own. We'll have to have you back yeah, sometime, thanks. So <laughs> yeah, and
1: that, was, that story, you know, I found actually while researching Anatomy of a Duel. I sort of wrote that book as a break, because I got sort of needed a break from kind of doing the research, and I. I found I was just sort of researching interpersonal violence and uh, stumbled across a story about a drowned man who was found bobbing the Mississippi River tied to a chair. And so I thought, well, this is horrible. How, how did he end up like this? And you know, started pulling the thread, and uh, you know, that became this book, yeah, Murder on the Ohio Bell. And so he was the victim of, I mean, he was the Mississippian who committed this murder and had been thrown in the river by, you know, th- an angry crew. Um, but again, the twist is. You know why was he on the boat in the first place, and you know why did he commit the murder, and then also what had he done in his past? So
0: does that happen to you a lot when you're doing your research? It's yes, like you kind of like yeah. pull a thread and it's you go awful. down a rabbit hole. Yeah, because I've yeah. got you know
1: about not kidding, like ten different books in various stages of completion because I keep finding something else that I get really excited about, and then you know it's it's. Uh, it's it's, it's so a little bit understandable, of a curse, but I've I, I piles and piles of note cards of different topics that I want mm-hmm. to do something on, whether yeah. it's an article.
0: Or... Well, that takes me to my last yeah. question: sure. Is what uh, future projects do you have of of those Ooh. ten different? Yeah, <laughs> there are a lot. Um,
1: to be honest, a lot of it, a lot of them deal with interpersonal violence at various stages of Kentucky history. And so, what I'm working on now is a, a murder case that took place here in Lexington in 1923. And so, it's sort of an intersection. It was a time when. Um, Unfortunately, a lot of Kentuckians carried concealed weapons, and uh, it's the result of that mixed with sort of alcohol and prohibition. And so sort of the first part of the book looks at this murder, and the second part um, examines the family of the the man who committed this murder, which then leads to stories about local political corruption and other things like that. So it's kind of a, a sins of the son, sins of the father story that kind of um, – through the lens of this one murder that took place downtown in 1923.
0: Interesting. Yeah. Well, well, we'll be looking forward Thanks. to that. That is a very interesting period in U.S. history, but also, of course, local history because yeah, it was and- very rife with – changing times and the civil rights movement was starting to bubble up and
1: yeah you know that's when king tut's tomb had been quote unquote discovered at that time and so that sort of looms over like you know every when i'm doing newspaper research i keep finding these articles on king tut which has been pretty (laughs) fun so it's a nice little distraction from you know but it was also a time too when uh And I I talk about this in the book, Anatomy of a Duel, but when, you know, what was affecting Kentucky's national reputation? Because we went from, you know, the 1850s being the the home of, you know, Henry Clay and erudite Kentuckians who were horse breeders to a much, you know, seen nationally as being a very violent place. And so um, that reputation, you know, started declining because all these upper class Kentuckians were killing one another on the street in the 1870s and 1880s um, on to the 1920s when concealed weapons was a major problem. They were costly. You know, shootouts tied to prohibition a lot of crime in the state. And including in the middle of those two periods, you have Governor William Goebel getting assassinated in front of what is now the old state capitol in 1900. And so, you know, newspaper headlines constantly screamed about violence in Kentucky and, you know, what a terrible place it was related to shootings and, and other killings. And so, you know, it's 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 a sad thread that you can find from the end of the Civil War until almost World War II. You know, it's it's just it's taken a while to sort of uh, lose that that reputation of being you know seen as a violent place. Unfortunately.
0: Okay, well, thank you so much for joining us on the yeah, podcast. For me. It's, it's been, been fascinating. I can't wait to see what you come up with. Well, thanks. Next, so we'll definitely have you again. Sounds to wonderful. Thanks for having way. me. Thank you so much, Stuart. Thanks for listening to Tales from the Kentucky Room, a podcast brought to you by the Central Library's Kentucky Room staff at the Lexington Public Library. If you enjoyed listening, please take a minute to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcasts. If you have any questions about local history or genealogy research, you can visit us in the Kentucky Room to use our collection and newspaper microfilm. Or you can email us at elibrarian at lexpublib.org. That's elibrarian at l-e-x-p-u-b-l-i-b.org. I'm Miriam, and we'll be back with another trip down Lexington's memory lane.